Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This episode 476 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Brodie Duncanson and Dave Lockman of SMG Studio to ask them about their team-based arcade puzzle game, Moving Out 2. You had one job. There's a phrase that's uttered a great deal when playing Moving Out and Moving Out 2. It's, the original was a couch co-op, but the new one, Moving Out 2 is also online as well, indeed cross-play. And it's all about working together to move things from one place to another as quickly as is humanly possible. Sounds a bit dry. It really isn't. It's a beautiful game, just as much as the music is, which, by the way, is by Brad Gentle. You'll hear examples of it throughout this show. In fact, you probably just heard the first one. If you want to grab that, soundtrack there's a link to it in the show notes so without further ado let's listen to me talk to Brody and dave about the creation of moving out to chris take it away hello dave and Brody. hey how's it going hey. hey can you tell us in that order dave and Brody, who you are and what you do i am dave um one half of dave and Brody, and i am a Game designer at SMG Studio. Um, yeah, and that's what I do. <laughs> I am the famed other half of Dave and Brody. <laughs> I too am a designer at SMG. Excellent. Could you tell us how did you make your start making video games? Um, well, I was originally, uh, I worked in television and did a n- number of roles in television and um and I always thought I was creative, but I didn't really get that outlet. So I just went straight to uni, um, did a did a degree, and then um, and that's where I met Brody. And then Brody and me just started making games, and we're still making games. So it was a pretty natural kind of progression, I guess. Yeah, and it's not really a separate story. It's our story is entwined. Um, after we finish uni, we just we wanted to make a game and see what the process was to finish, start to finish. Um, and we ended up, our first game got published by SMG and kind of it's all just flowed on from there. So what, as creators, are your biggest influences? I think in terms of, uh, that's, a, that's a loaded question because it's so, there's so many, so many 
different ways. I mean, I'm obviously influenced by the games I play and played as, as a kid, but I found as as you get past that, like especially with moving out, you find inspiration just like in the world. As, as corny as it sounds, like when you're working on a specific game and you see the way people move, you see the way the world moves. Um, I've, when we first started moving out, one, I would drive home from work and just find myself staring at houses and taking in designs. And it, um, it really became, you know, in, in like kind of just embodied me like kind of thing but I at the same time I um I find inspiration in a lot of things I mean it's it's movies it, it's games it's general life things I think the strongest designers don't just look at games as as inspiration they don't look at at what's being done or, or you know how they can change what's there they you know, they look at life, I guess. Um, there's puzzles and games in everything we do. So I, I think I guess. that's true of a lot of industries you'll find, yeah. getting that sort of diversity and not just laser focused on one area. Um, like I I don't play a whole lot of games outside of work, like here and there, but I wouldn't say like I'm a really heavy gamer. So I think, for me, it's come from a place of like problem solving. Like my brain just loves the to fix problems, and I think games is a good good outlet for that. Of, uh, not just technical problems, but the problem of communicating and um, how players will perceive certain things, and how do you get them to understand certain elements that may be a bit of a challenge. But yeah. Yeah, and uh, the, the phrase often uttered when playing Moving Out 2 is, you had one job. You had one job. <laughs> we, we have had that kind of thing. <laughs> I wanted you to get the small jewellery case. Why is it in the Why did you chuck it out through the window into the other side of the building where it's nowhere near the van? Yeah. Well, I wanted to see if I could get an umbrella. Really? Really? Yeah. Wanted to see. Do you see the clock? Do you? Sorry, this has every, every job is viable. <laughs> so, next question. And by the way, these get harder as we go along. If you haven't figured this out yet. Yeah. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, I. I, I I've, I'm a weird person. I admire I, the the person that inspired me to get into games originally was Edmund McMillan. I love Edmund's Edmund's games and and the fact that I saw him and um and Tommy make Meat Boy, just the two of them. That's what that was the the thing I I remember. That's what changed me and made me want to make games. They were they inspired me to to get into the industry. But in terms of like looking up to developers, um, I really like, I'm a big fan of old uh, cave shooters and I think they're genius and I think they're absolutely underappreciated in the systems and the way that they interact with a player and the, the amount of ownership you can have over gameplay in their games. And I think that, um, that yeah, they're criminally underrated as a as a design, uh, and, and what they can do for a player, the choice they give a player, and um, 
yeah, I, I look I look up to the way that they manipulate their own gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of like inspiration, but uh, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Mobius Digital who did uh, Outer Wilds. Um, for me, like it's a semi recent title, but just the way that they crafted that experience so that everything's in front of you from the get go and it's just you learning and understanding how the world works and that's your progression. Uh, for me, that just that experience really, really clicked and I, I loved it from beginning to end. For me, for me too. I I thought it was extraordinary, extraordinary game, and the uh, DLC they released after for it has somehow they made it a terror game (laughs) because it's very scary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's very disturbing the the DLC. But no, I'm a big, big fan of Outer Wilds and way they took a bunch of ideas and mushed them together. Somehow they made it work. Yeah, it's just amazing. Just how do you how do you design for that? Like, yeah. it's just incredible. Like to me, each world is a world is a game in itself. It's like actually, you know what? Let's just mush it together. What? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, last question, the first half. What are you playing right now? Oh, what am I playing right now? Look, I'm gonna. I'm I'm playing RoboCop and I love it. It's great. (laughs) It's really fun. It's so lighthearted. I finish work and I put it on and just zone out. And I'm really enjoying it. But at the same, I'm playing Super Mario Wonder as well at the same time. So RoboCop and Mario Wonder, they're very different games, but I'm having a lot of fun with both of them. Fantastic. Um, For me, it's... Uh, a little bit of cyberpunk, which I came to very late. I just picked it up when the DLC came out. Uh, a little bit of the new Spider-Man. A little bit of <laughs> the new Diablo uh, season. And a little bit of... Um, what's the other one? Vampire Survivors in my in my downtime. It's always a favourite. Yeah, a recent episode where we featured one called Heretic's Fork, which is a card game... Mixed with, uh, mixed. oh, that sounds cool. It's highly recommended. Very low palette. Yeah, okay. what, what was that called? Sorry, Heretic's Fork. Oh, cool. It's a, it's a really low, low palette, deliberately low yeah. palette game. And you, you look at it, and I, we ask all sort of questions about working within that forced constraint. And he said, yeah. "Well, I did it." For practical reasons, fascinating discussion. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and there's this lone developer as well, one of those like polymath. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, so. I'm a sucker for these. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, don't be careful when you Google it because it's actually sadly a torture device. So be, be careful. Make sure you put oh, game boy. after it. Otherwise, you'll oh, get some okay. horrific, yeah. <laughs> horrific <laughs> images. So that's the first half. Well done. You made it. Let's move on to the second half of the show, where we should be delving deep into moving out too.
before we do delve deep to know what it is. So in your own words, best of luck, what is moving out to? Well, we had to try and write this yesterday. <laughs> it's a silly couch co-op. What, what are we just, what's the spiel, Brody? It's, yeah, it's everybody knows moving house, right? It's it's a very relatable, very enjoyable experience. So moving out too is just, we wanted to capture that <laughs> physics space. Yeah. Moving house simulator. Yeah. Yes. Couch co-op, online co-op, just, yeah, grab physics your friends. Space, silly, sandboxy kind of fun. Yeah. You grab items and move them from A to B. It, we do lots of ways, things to make that silly. Like you so, said, the window is is it's just an obstacle that you can get through. Like we don't need to use the doors. No, exactly. <laughs> so, um, very old listeners may recognise "Moving Out," which is a game that we did feature in episode two hundred and seventy-seven back in May twenty twenty. That was a period of time. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we're back again uh, too. So just to expand a little bit more on what moving out to how it functions and how it works and is presented, it's a four-player co-op game, but you can play it on your own as well. And it's viewed in what they call isometric, although it's not really isometric. Let's not go there. And that sort of like view, and you are picking up objects which are highlighted in a building, and uh, you're simply, let's say simply, required to take the things from one building and put it into the back of a truck, which is highlighted in big sort of like items. Well, actually, not always a truck, actually. It could be moving in as well. You could be taken from the truck right. into yeah. into the house as well. So that's – but basically you're taking one thing from one place to another very, very delicately and gently. No, that's a lie. He's um, <laughs> usually running around and then hurling it into the place to, to take – because you're timed, everyone. You have – a certain amount of time to complete this because every client for this, every employer for your moving van is has no patience at all and they want everything done in about three minutes. As someone who's moved many times, uh, I can certainly relate to, although I really wouldn't employ these fellows because they're just healthy <laughs> and are uh, the clumsiest of folks ever to encounter. So that's the premise. And the way it works is there's a little bit of sort of clumsy physics, so to speak. You know, there's a little bit. It's not precise in any way. And indeed, when you, for example, pull something from like an electrical device, there's no unplugging it from the wall first. What's the, where's the fun in that? No. Uh, you you take it and then it's there's a little cord that's sort of attached to the wall and then it snaps and then your character goes flying and it's all, you know. So... Thank you. So that's that's the, the the structure of the game, so everyone can understand how that works. So the first design question I have is this: I'm not going to sit here, by the way, talking about comparing it to the first game because that's futile. This is a game in of itself; it's its own thing. Yes, it takes a lot from the previous game, but I think it does its own thing far more, and that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Not differences. I'm just going to talk about it, moving out to as its own entity, because that's what it is. Yeah. So the environmental effects, uh, interactions that the player has in moving out too, can turn what is seemingly a straightforward area into complete 
chaos very quickly. How have you set about developing these interactions and creating these scenarios, so to speak, knowing that that's what I've described, that the player, player or players together will look at it and go, oh, this looks straightforward, and suddenly realise it really, really isn't. Yeah, so we kind of just really like to lean on, like the main interaction that you have in the game is grabbing, right? You grab the edge of the sofa, you grab the table, you drag it. And we just really wanted to lean into that tactile, physical nature of just grabbing stuff and smashing stuff and being really, we want you to end the level with just leaving trash everywhere and keeping everything very, very in the physics realm of interactability. Um, That was like a primary goal of ours when it came to that. And then we just kind of ran with like, well, what can you do with the physics? Like, oh, we can like roll balls and we can use slingshots and like all these things feel like they fit very, very nicely in the realm of the physical interaction. Um, And then, yeah, so loosely based on actually moving house, just the house happens to have a bunch of slingshots (laughs) out out the front. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was something we, um, like Brody said, we very much had that that goal in mind from the start that we wanted players to have like a sense of kind of ownership over the destruction of the the levels, and then in turn gives them I guess some ownership over the gameplay. Um, and we kind of it we kind of lean into that and kind of you know there might be a, a cardboard box that you've got to pick up. And if it's in a certain area, we'll put like, you know, a plate or a piece of pizza or something right near it. So if they do grab it, stuff's going to go flying. And then, you know, that led on to like, okay, so you can break windows. And then Brody was like, well, I want to break some walls. So, you know, that led to like gingerbread walls. And then Brody was like, well, it's not that fun to just break a wall so then he made a wrecking ball and it, like he said it was just a natural progression of wh- how can we add to the initial like you know a to b movement how can we add to the interactivity and how can we blend it together so like we have the wind and the wind interacts with you know physics objects and it's not just a way to traverse the area you know that will affect the movables like if you throw it into the wind it will give it a boost and things like that we're not exact we're not exactly breath of the wild but we tried to you know we tried to blend things as well as we could it's like you you know you want to go from a to b carrying c let's just mess with that pathing like let's just throw stuff in the middle that you can engage with you can go around you can try and brute force it like we kind of just want people to play however what feels right to them and just give them as many options as as we feel like we can stuff in there yeah that's a that's a big point we never we weren't like it wasn't a case of oh we want multiple solutions for this problem it was more of a case where if the player tries something and it works that's totally fine so it's not like we actually came up with multiple solutions to every problem it was more like we gave them enough freedom to kind of do that on their own, if you know what I mean. 
there's never like a decision in moving out where you have to turn right or left. It's always, you can either keep it coded. There's always micro decisions everywhere. No, well, that's true. Should I just chuck it through the window or go out through the door? Yeah, things like that. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's kind of a basic one, but there's, yeah, trust me, it can get more convoluted than that. I want to talk, well, the next question I have is really about the little mini games that you encounter and trigger by collecting little video game cartridges that you find littered across the various levels. Could you explain to us how, how they were made for moving out to? Well, the arcade games, I, I unfortunately I have to go back to moving out one for those because they were, originally they were us, uh, Brody and me kind of getting out uh, like... We made very hard games before we made Moving Out 2 or Moving Out 1, and we wanted to make very challenging arcade levels that we challenged each other at lunch. So we were like, hey, if you could beat this level with two players, I'll buy you lunch. (laughs) Um, And then we really liked those levels, so we kind of we wanted to put them in the game. But then for Moving Out 2, we actually, you know, we, we... put a lot more effort and thought into what they were in terms of the bigger picture. So they weren't just kind of added on. They were something different that you were like, you know, they were, they were different from the gameplay you were seeing in, in the court game. So we actually had um, another designer on the team. Jay yeah. uh, did a lot of those and it was good having like his insight into the mechanics that we've been using in sort of the core game and then what what he what twist he could bring to it uh when there was a bit more freedom because we didn't have to worry about making it logical or fit in a grounded sort of scenario um so it was great to see where he went with those yeah i find them really quite wonderful how they really almost train players to get better because they put you through a series of very strange scenarios and obstacles which normally wouldn't be a case like sliding walls moving around in front of you as you're running along a conveyor belt why (laughs) Uh, it goes left no my left which then leads me on to my next question and i don't recall this in the first game i may be wrong but the ability to hurl something onto something else and then potentially that would bounce and then go onto something else and eventually land either into closer to the truck or actually in, in it, which is even more satisfying. Was this intentional in terms of it feels like it opens up the map somewhat? Because one of the things I found in the original times when you'd only occupy a very small pocket of space because you'd be running in and out mm-hmm. very quickly um, to move things out and stuff, whereas... This allows you to actually go deeper into the building and and then but the point is you're trying to get something in one place to the other. And I found that the act of using the environment to project things at a greater distance opened it up, expands the space a little bit. It's, was that intentional or was it a happy sort of like accident? Uh, I think it's probably a bit of both um, going back a bit to um, – Moving out one, we did a DLC for that. And during the process of developing the DLC, we did a lot of um, like sort of prototyping of different mechanics and interactions. And there was a 
bit of a bouncy trampoline part to that so that when we came to moving out to that kind of fit in, we wanted, as said earlier, give players more sort of interactions in the world so you can like break stuff, you can move stuff to help. You can also like slap or like high five some stuff in the world. So one of those interactions is the sort of the beach umbrella that maybe it starts closed, but if you slap it, it will open up. So that gives players a bit of that ownership over like, okay, I'm going to use this to maybe have a bit of a shortcut by throwing items onto it to bounce it further and I'll, I'll clean it up later. So it was a bit of a natural just, hey, let's just give the players more options and bouncy stuff in a physics game just you know, seems to gel perfectly, <laughs> I think. And then we take that and apply it to a few different things. So now um, when we get a bit wacky towards the end of the game, it's sort of like jelly that you're, if you touch the jelly, you're bouncing off it and, Maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe in this instance, it's an obstacle that you're trying to not touch. So then we can sort of have a bit of fun with it in that way. We we kind of looked for so many different ways we could the player could interact with something and then have it manipulate the movables. So that was one of our big kind of goals for, for the new mechanics. Also, it's completely optional. Like, it's not something that we force players to interact with it's you know maybe you discover and that's kind of exciting like oh i've just found a, a different way to interact with this or different tactic i guess to approach this level with that gives players a little bit of a oh i'm a genius <laughs> which is which is always good so my last question is this the sound and visual cues in moving out to do so much to inform the players as to what is going on and the impact they're having as they're moving around the world, trying to get this stuff from one place to the other. What I'm marvelling at, this aspect of moving out too, is it doesn't, it pushes the boundaries of being overwhelming, of being too saturated with so much going on. But you can just about filter it out so you know what the important stuff is going on relative to what you're trying to achieve. How did you manage that? That's a lot of going back and forth with with the people that were in charge of that. Luckily, Brody and, and me don't have to do the UI for moving out too, but we do <laughs> consult with the UI artist. We Luckily, we don't have to do the sound either, but we... We worked with a team called Sub-Zero. They're really, really good. They were really good and really easy to work with and they really understood what moving out was about and they understood exactly what you were saying. Like you can't have, there's so many objects in that world. You can't have everything just going, you know, beep and bloop all at the same time. So they had some very smart sort of, situational kind of like environmental like location-based sounds and and like a hierarchy of when to play a sound and all that kind of thing but then um the ui like you said highlighting the objects that were objectives that was a lot of iteration a lot of going back and forth to to the shine that comes over the objects when they are the objective the tweaking that was made to that so that it wasn't overbearing was extensive, um, I guess. Yeah, there's like definitely a lot of layers to that onion from yeah. a lot of different departments all with that 
go. It's you know, you've got the the technical artists who are doing that sheen. You got the audio artists who are doing the audio effects, and then we have like the level designers who are placing certain types of items. Maybe all the ones that you're trying to collect are thematically similar, so that you kind of maybe just autopilot ignore the 20 boxes in the background because all the items that you really need, the shining and have the hints on them are, are couches and, and furniture. So without even really thinking about it, you're already just sort of isolating the, the items that you really need. So yeah, there's definitely, we come out at it from a, a quite a lot of angles to try and bring it all together because it is challenging. <laughs> it was very, it's definitely a challenge, especially when we like get into like the accessibility options where, um, recognition and, and visual components uh, get quite complex. Like an easy rule that we had was never use, like if you have a couch, never have a couch not be, at a, like if, if a couch has an objective, don't have a non-objective couch in the level. So you, players will, uh, all the boxes in this level are objectives, all the chairs in this level are objectives, whereas they might not be in another level. So there wasn't like a, that extra guessing game, I guess, on top of it. Yeah, like one of my levels in kind of like the sci-fi future realm, um, I just wanted to play with the idea of all the pot plants and the plants in the house are the objectives, and that's all they care about. They don't care about their furniture. They just want their plants. So it might not be apparent like when you first start playing, but once you see that, okay, I've delivered three plants. Oh, wait, it's all plants. So we're okay with a bit of sort of a, a learning onboarding process there as long as it's like thematically consistent and all those systems we mentioned just kind of feed back in and, yeah, hopefully that works for people. Yeah, there were times when I was sort of blundering going, oh, I know, they want this. But sometimes you get it wrong because you do hurl this thing into the back of the truck like, huh, they don't want that, <laughs> do they? <laughs> they, wanted the, they wanted the telly last time, but not this one. Okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> That and it can, can cause a problem when it's like a big item as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So moving out to has been developed by SMG Studio and published by good friends, Team 17, and is available on what platforms? That's uh, on the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series S and Series X. And I... And Switch Switch and PC, it might be available on other Xboxes, but I don't know how many they have of those. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all a bit confusing, but no, it's basically on all of the things. It is, yes, and uh, it is for the first time not only a couch car, but also online multiplayer as well. Which features cross-play, which is an incredible feature. So there's no excuses, everyone. Whatever you've got to hand, uh, you can uh, you can dive in and hell abuse each other for having only one job and not fulfilling that said job. <laughs> so Dave and Brody, it's been wonderful having you both on the show. It genuinely has. You've been very open and honest about the design and creation of moving out to. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. Appreciate it. it. And you're more than welcome to come back to talk about what's next cooking in your brains. 
and we will be here, as you can see. <laughs> we're here for one, and you know, we're here for two. Uh, I was suggesting the next is three. Uh, but uh, whatever it is you're working on, we'll be here to chat about it. That sounds awesome. awesome. But Thanks, until Mark. then, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> appreciate But that was fun. I enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Brody and Dave are great guests and return guests because SMG Studio, as I said during the recording, that we did cover the original moving out back in May of 2020. But let's look to the future now rather than the past. Next episode, 477, will feature Vitaltas Rosgus, project manager at Sneaky Box, and Jason Polanski, producer from Atari. We'll be chatting about their homage to the arcade classic Berserk, which is coming in the form of Berserk Recharged. Now, I hope those of you with a bit of retro gaming bent will enjoy it as much as those who are looking for more new things because they're kind of mashed together in a big mashy thing. So I'll just hand you over to my pre-recorded self. Until then, bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canandrinse.com. <laughs>